This is Randy with uh, another answer to a question from my friend Chris. Uh, it's a rather long question. I will read it all. Uh, the short title would be just, uh, you know, Buddhist views on evolution um, and similar doctrinal questions. Uh, first, let me say I'm testing out a new microphone, so um, I will apologize in advance for any sound quality problems, and if they're too bad, perhaps re-record it, but let's hope that this solution works out because it would be good for uh, recording talks away from my computer. So, I will repeat the question, and it states, could Zen Buddhism have started out in the beginning as a hypothesis throughout the monk order and then proved by the monks as a theory? And I should say he, he had attached uh, this by email a, um, a discussion of what is a hypothesis versus a theory. Um, but before I go into that, let me finish the question. Could Zen Buddhism have started out in the beginning as a hypothesis throughout the monk order and then proved by the monks as a theory? How does Zen Buddhism address the theory of evolution? Personally, do you think that bacteria or diseases evolve and cause us all to get sick? In contrast, just maybe, were humans created from the evolving ape? How could Zen Buddhism address these two issues just mentioned above? Further, could bacteria or diseases have been created and not have evolved? Not trying to trick you with a trick question, I'm just trying to cover a broad spectrum of beliefs in life as we know that there are so many varying belief systems in the world. Is it key for a person to accept one or more, maybe some of these belief systems, and tolerate others in their own belief systems? That's the end of this, this rather long and multifaceted question. So, uh, just in a very brief answer to the first point, um, and let me restate the first point, could Zen Buddhism have started out in the beginning as a hypothesis? Absolutely. Um, that is the way the the story of Buddhism forming uh, actually begins, is that uh, uh, Siddhartha uh, Gautama, the uh, uh, original, or the Shakyamuni Buddha, um, saw examples of sickness, old age, and death, and said, you know, there is a problem in that to be born and to be living involves the suffering associated with sickness, old age, and death, and, and other maladies, not having what we want, and so on. And he hypothesized that there must be a solution to this. And he spent the rest of his life um, first finding the solution and then verifying that solution and then teaching that solution, which is very much the, the scientific method, uh, forming a hypothesis, testing it, uh, viewing the results, and then perhaps modifying your hypothesis based on the results, testing again, observing those results, and repeating the cycle over and over and over again. Um, not only was that done by the historical Buddha, but he taught that each of us should do that for ourselves, and, and uh, we'll get into that in, in just a minute. Um, but just to cover a distinction that was in the article that Chris attached to the email, uh, when we have to be a little bit difficult, uh, careful because this, some of the questions mix apples and oranges here. We need to be very careful about uh, the distinction between three things. 
a hypothesis versus a theory versus a belief. A hypothesis is a proposed uh, answer to a question. Um, based on what you have observed, you're trying to explain something, you come up with a hypothesis that uh, you think will answer that question, but then you test it, you come up with experiments or observations designed to test it, uh, and then you perform that experiment, you, you take your observations and you analyze them to see if they fit your hypothesis or not. If they do, then you formulate that into a theory and continue to expand and test, and if not, you have to scratch that hypothesis and say, okay, I've learned a, a <laughs> I've learned something that's not true and scratch that one off the list just like Thomas Edison and his you know however many failed attempts at the light bulb. A theory, a lot of people confuse theory with hypothesis. They think that something that is called a theory is not uh, necessarily valid or true and as that article demonstrated uh, that he attached a theory uh, is a is a word that can mean a consistent body of knowledge uh, like when you go to college, if you study music, you may study music theory. That doesn't mean that, you know, the way we form uh, pleasing combinations of, of chords and sounds and things like that is untrue. Uh, that phrase theory describes how that body of knowledge works together. And nobody disputes the use of the word theory or that, that music isn't real because it's still just a theory. Um, the same thing is true with... Um, string theory or the theory of relativity. These things aren't necessarily untrue just because they're theories. As a matter of fact, every, every test we've done has validated uh, relativity. Um, but that is an appropriate use of the word theory. And anyway, I'll go, could go on and on there. And then belief is something different. Um, belief is something that uh, depending on which definition you look at, but in the common religious form, um, is something that is accepted as handed down by authority. It is not based on observation and test and validation. Um, so in that case, it's a very different thing from evolution and, uh, excuse me, from uh, hypothesis and theory. So in some of the questions here, where basically it's posing... Um, evolution versus creationism, you're, you're posing a theory versus a belief. You're comparing apples and oranges. So it's a something you have to be very aware of in discussing this question. So first of all, we talked a little bit about Buddhism uh, starting out as a, as a hypothesis. Let's talk about what it is and what it is not. Buddhism is not a cosmology. It is not meant to explain the beginning of the universe. It is not a theology from the Greek root word theos, it's not meant to, to address questions of um, divinities or gods or things like that, um, or any kind of a system of metaphysics of souls and afterlifes and things like that. It is many times in the sutras described as a diagnosis and a cure, a very mundane thing, a diagnosis of a malady and a proposed cure. And since it is something that's proposed, it's always subject to validation, just as any hypothesis um, in this case, the hypothesis would be that the cure will address and resolve the diagnosed uh, malady. So, the Buddha's hypothesis was that there has to be a better way to live and, and um, 
he set out to test it and therefore prove it or disprove it. And he tested many different um, religious approaches in that day. And by the way, um, one of the things I should mention here when I just use the word religious with hypothesis, one of the things that bothers me a bit about calling Buddhism a religion is because, as we just mentioned, it doesn't address uh, cosmology or theology or metaphysics. Um, there are some of those things in the sutras because they just... <laughs> anything that addresses the deeper questions in life tends to get labeled a religion and, and, and have all these religious barnacles accrete to the hull. Um, but in the core teachings, it's really not addressing those things. And in one of the sutras I'm going to refer to later, uh, it, it very specifically states, you know, if there is an afterlife, if there not is not an afterlife, it it answers both of those questions um, in, in a certain circumstance because it says, I'm not going to say whether there is or isn't. That's not the point for us, you know. So this is what the you know the what the practice will do for you if there is one, and if there's the, if there isn't one, this is what the practice will do for you. I'm getting off on a tangent here, so let me try and get back. So, I said that the Buddha started out with that original hypothesis, and he didn't say, okay, I have found the answer, and here it is. Okay. Um, he did find an answer, and he, he could say, to continue our, our metaphor here, that he set up a, a theory, a framework, you know, to explain the way this hypothesis was posed and tested and validated. But he also said each and every one of us are required to validate it for ourselves. Uh, this is very clearly put out in a sutra called the Kalama Sutra. And I'll just read you a quote from that. And here's the quote. So, as I said, Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by or by the thought, this contemplative is our teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and happiness, then you should enter and remain in them. That's the end of the quote. Now, I need to mention a few caveats here. There, this is often kind of used some out of context um, as an excuse for, well, just do whatever you want. You don't have to go by legends or scriptures or teachers or, or logic or anything like that. But he does say, when you know for yourselves that these qualities are praised by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and happiness. So it is saying, hey, try it, test it, validate it for yourselves, but with the proper examination through meditation in our tradition, under the guidance of a teacher and a, a group that you're practicing with, a sangha. Um, so there is kind of a peer review process, which is just like science. But it says, um, don't rely on them exclusively. Validate it for yourself. They can help you with it, but you have to validate it for yourself. So it's the same thing. Each and every one of us take this hypothesis, we test it, we validate it, see the truth of it for ourselves, and repeat that cycle over and over again with additional refinements. So, it, you know, as far as we see it in Zen and in, in uh, Buddhism in general, we would say Buddhism is the ultimate in scientific method. Um, observation, hypothesis, test, 
review results and repeat. As a matter of fact, the Dalai Lama is quoted as having uh, said several times that um, if science, if the scientific community ever comes up with a conflict of a, sci of a Buddhist belief, we would have to very um, seriously look at that uh, and, and, you know, perhaps change uh, that belief because uh, we agree wholeheartedly with the scientific method. We say that we, you know, see that we are applying the scientific method to the inner life, so to speak, instead of the external world. So we very much believe in that process and the validity of it. Um, so the the uh, question, to go back up to Chris's question, he asked about me personally. He says, personally, do you think that bacteria and, and diseases evolve and cause us all to get sick? I imagine he was looking at a particular um, article or something there about disease and, and uh, viruses in particular evolving, you know, um, uh, penicillin-resistant strains and things like that. I absolutely believe that. Um, I believe in the scientific method, and, and believe in this sense means not that I accept it doctrinally because somebody told me to, but because it uh, makes sense. It's understandable. It's logically consistent. Anytime I have ever uh, done something and undertaken the scientific method, I mean, I do this all the time, whether it's a little, you know, uh, it's whether it's right now I'm training for a race, you know, how I train, how I do different things and I observe the effects, um, whether I'm, I'm uh, trying to build something in the workshop, you know, the different ways that I approach building it, which ones work and which ones don't, um, and my IT work, you know, the scientific method works. It's, it's verifiable, it's repeatable, it is logically consistent, and it's even elegant. Um, in my mind, that it's not kind of haphazard, it's not a system of memorizing facts, it's a method more of understanding rules and systems, and if you understand the rules and systems, you can expand those to broader and broader applications. Um, and in that way, it makes the world understandable to any extent and any level. And we, even when we don't have any stories to explain something, in the old days, you know, we didn't have the scientific method, we didn't have science, we had stories. The wise came up with a story to explain something. And we learned those stories. And that was how we handled the rel relatively small and finite group of, of situations we faced in our lives. But um, as we learn more and more and more, there aren't stories, you know, there aren't traditional stories handed down generation after generation to understand electronics technology or, you know, the science that, that uh, sends rovers to Mars and things like that. We have to, to learn it as we go. So, and to stay on the, per the question of do I personally believe and why, well, scientific method has never lied to me. Um, more often, usually it shows me where I'm lying to myself or... <laughs> where I have uh, an incomplete or a false understanding of something. But uh, tradition has lied to us quite often. It told us, you know, to use the big examples, uh, ancient examples, that the sun revolves around the earth. Or that, uh, you know, women could be witches and they were, there were witch trials and they were convicted. Um, more recently, you know, debates about whether or not the Earth is 6,000 years old, despite all the evidence. Well, 
You know, this brings me up to a question of consistency. For example, that one involves radioactive decay. Uh, radioactive decay of naturally occurring isotopes is used in many of the uh, like radiocarbon dating methods. And I guess these are methods that people are calling into doubt when they say, oh, well, you know, we can't believe the science that says the Earth is millions and billions of years old. Um, but then that same radioactive decay process is what powers the Curiosity rover on Mars right now to bring in a current news headline example. So, you know, the scientific principle behind radioactive decay is the same in both cases. Either it is true or it is not. Um, so that's a, a case where I would say ideology is, is lying to us where science is not. And as finally, as a, as a just an absurd example in the current news, uh, this is being recorded just before the uh, 2012 uh, presidential election, uh, Republican uh, candidate for what, Senator? Aiken stated that legitimate rape, in air quotes here, legitimate rape, his phrase, doesn't lead to pregnancy. I mean, <laughs> I just hesitate to even touch that, but it's just the kind of absurdity that ideology can lead to, whereas uh, scientific method and rational analysis clearly lead to a different conclusion. Um, so that was to answer the question, my personal position. Yes, I, I fully endorse, it believes not the right word, but I endorse and, and live by the scientific method. What is the Zen Buddhist position? Well, um, I've gone into the, the Buddhist position on metaphysics many, many times and won't repeat all that here. It's just that basically Buddhism usually sidesteps the question of metaphysics, of, of cosmology and theology and soul and heaven and hell and all that stuff. It kind of sidesteps it. A lot of stuff has been added to the sutras over the centuries and millennia because people keep asking those questions, but really if you're interested in those questions, the Zen path is not the path for you. Because Zen says, that's not the issue right here and right now. So, it's not a doctrinal issue as it is in a tradition based on the word, as, as the Abrahamic traditions. In the Abrahamic traditions, um, if you question one part of the doctrine, you're questioning all of it. Um, since it's all supposed to be the divine word, um, if you question the, the divinity or the authenticity of one part, you're, you're questioning the authenticity of all of it. That's why there were such things as the, the Inquisition, uh, the, the um, prosecution of Galileo uh, because of his uh, heliocentric model of the solar system versus the uh, earth-centric model of the church. Um, and even now, the current sanction against the U.S. nuns, what was it, what is it, the League of Women Religious, U.S. League of Women Religious, something like that, by the Catholic hierarchy, and I can't even remember the complex name of their body for the review of, I don't know what all, doctrine and dogma. So basically, they're sanctioning uh, the nuns, not even because they weren't, they, they, not because they were denouncing any part of the church's teachings, but just because they weren't stressing some of the church's teachings strongly enough. So that's the whole, uh, you know, one big problem with doctrinal systems like that. Um, whereas in the Zen world, where it, you know, where there are some 
um, creation myths. Uh, they're understood to be myths. When we talk about, we have bodhisattvas and and uh, and uh, divine beings, and th there's a whole pantheon. You could come up with a whole huge list of of supernatural beings and point at it and say, "See, look at this." There's all kinds of metaphysics in, in Buddhism, but the point is, Buddhism understands the use of analogy, simile, metaphor, archetypes, etc., as such, and not as statements of literal fact. So yes, we have all, all kinds of those things in there. And uh, you, uh, very often what the Buddha is doing is just taking somebody's existing stories and repeating it back to them uh, as a part of what he's explaining so that he's using terms that they understand. Um, but again, that, that's going to be a whole side tangent there. So what is uh, doctrinal, so to speak, in the Buddhist world is to strive to see the world clearly, not as we think it is, as we want it to be, as we wish it were, um, but to see it without the fog and distortion of our ego, of our desires, of our prejudices, but to try and see the world clearly as it is. And in doing so, to investigate and understand cause and effect. And this is what uh, the term everybody has heard, karma, refers to. And a lot of people understand karma uh, not quite correctly. They can think it's some kind of a cosmic ledger book where it records how good or bad you've been, and then you know if you're reborn into in another life that determines whether you're going to come back as a saint or a cockroach or something. Um, and there certainly are, you know, that kind of understanding in some. Buddhist traditions, but basically it refers to, when you look at the Buddhist teachings, it refers to cause and effect. It's very similar to um, that which you sow shall you also reap. Um, and it's just um, basically understanding the impact of your actions. So the doctrine is to see the world clearly, to understand cause and effect, so that you can behave so as to cause the desired effects based on compassion uh, for self and others. And this is basically, again, the scientific method. Uh, observation and then um, behaving in accordance with those observations. So, um, to get back, so that was answering the question about uh, Zen's uh, position on uh, evolutionary doctrine type issues. So he poses some questions like, just maybe humans were created from the evolving ape. Well, sure, maybe, you know. <laughs> I can't speak for what happened in, in the distant past. But, you know, since we're talking a lot about the scientific method and since Buddhism uh, uses the scientific method, we would have to ask, Sure, maybe, but would that make sense? You know, in the sense of, hey, if you already have evolution working and, and driving towards greater, greater complexity, towards a more complex um, uh, brain, a more complex social structure, a more complex inter interaction with others, a more complex understanding of the universe, why bypass it? If it's, if it's driving in that direction anyway, why would you bypass it? Um, to apply a, a, a famous scientific principle to this question, 
Occam's razor, Occam's razor would say, no, it wouldn't make sense for humans to be created from an evolving ape. Um, and if you don't, if you're not familiar with Occam's razor, it says very simply that the simplest answer is usually true. And I think a great example of this is uh, uh, what was it in like the 16th century, the debate between the uh, church's Earth-centric model of the universe and the Copernican and Galilean heliocentric model. Well, at that point, the universe was mostly the, the solar system that they could observe the motions of those bodies. Um, it turns out that to explain the orbits that they could observe of the, the planets um, or, uh, with the church's Earth-centric model, and, and they were trying to use it with perfect spheres because, because the heavens were divine and ruled by God, so everything had to be kind of perfect, and a sphere is a perfect shape. But they found that as the telescopes got more and more accurate and their observations got more and more accurate, the planets weren't following the system of spheres, and they had to come up with ever more complex spheres on spheres on spheres, uh, you know, a sphere on a part of an orbit and things like that. And it just got to be this incredibly complex system, and it got complex, more complex every time they came up with a more accurate observation to try and make their model fit the observations. Whereas the uh, Copernican and Galilean uh, heliocentric model, the Earth revolving around the Sun, was a much more simple explanation that much better fit the observed data. So the, the point to that story was that to demonstrate Occam's razor saying the simplest answer is usually true. And uh, to apply it to whether or not humans were created from the evolving ape, well the simple, simplest thing here would be consistency. Stick with the system already working and in that question it posed that uh, apes were already evolving instead of a radical departure and the radical departure would be to create humans. And by the way, uh, you know, just in case somebody says Occam's razor is some, you know, well, that's some, you know, secular thing. Actually, it was developed, uh, that principle was stated by a Franciscan friar. Um, uh, I forget when, maybe he was 18th century, I don't recall. So anyway, uh, another question he posed was um, further, could bacteria and diseases have been created and not evolved? Well, I don't think this is what he meant by the question, but I'm, I'm going to, to answer it maybe a little bit facetiously and say, well, in one way, definitely, yes. I mean, just look at all the genetic, genetically modified crops and, and medicines and medical treatments and things like that that we already currently have and we're developing ever more rapidly. Um, wasn't there somebody that created a, a variant of bird flu that could be weaponized? They were doing it for research, but it could be weaponized or something like that. Uh, and so there was a big furor about it. Um, so I think that demonstrates that, of course, they can be created and not evolved. We can create them. Um, so you know, those two questions, one had a yes answer, one had a no answer, and I'm not sure what the point of the questions was. You know, my question would be, what would these two prove either way? If you answered either one of them either way, what, what does it prove? Because the point in Zen is, does it matter to how we live life here and now with what is right now? How we got here doesn't really matter from our perspective. 
So it goes on to say, well, you know, couldn't we, isn't the point to accept one or more beliefs? Um, well, pick, it, 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 you know, the word pick uh, or choose leads me to worry about the abuse of cherry picking. And a lot of people cherry pick their beliefs. Um, and then there are problems with consistency. A lot of people view the world as is versus as desired. Um, one of my favorite examples is for, for many, and I don't mean to paint with too broad a brush, and, and this is probably just going too far and getting me into trouble, but you know there are many in the Christian tradition who, who love to pick the verses that condemn behaviors they don't like, like homosexuality, but they forget all the verses that, that condemn things uh, that they like, like eating shellfish, or eating pork, or cutting their sideburns, or wearing mixed fabrics, and on and on and on, you know. Even though those were the word of God, according to Leviticus, apparently it's okay to ignore those. So, um, you know, even within one belief system, there's a lot of problems with consistency for, for many folks. Um, so my first thing would be, well, I would say anybody who's serious needs to be consistent in the belief system that they pick so that you're always looking through the same glasses so that you always see things correctly um, you know I don't understand how people are perfectly happy to to accept the results of science for your iPad your GPS your your car your home your computer you know your your high-tech Gore-Tex clothing that keeps you dry and in, in the rain and all that stuff we could go on and on and on. But then again, when they don't, when, when those, uh, the science that led to those developments conflict with things that they don't like, they ignore them. And that goes back to the answer to the question about the radiocarbon dating versus the uh, radioactive decay that's powering the Curiosity rover. Um, you know, it, it's not consistent. I, I have often said that if people were forced to live with technology consistent with their beliefs, um, they may rapidly change some of their beliefs. <laughs> but of course, in the end, we come down to the, the final statement about, isn't it a key for a person to, to accept one or more, maybe some of these belief systems, and tolerate others in their own belief systems? Well, of course. Um, absolutely. We don't want any tradition, my tradition or your tradition or somebody else's tradition, to be the tyrant that tells everybody else how they have to to believe. That would not be kind, that would not be compassionate, that would not be respectful of others. But we live in a complex world where we, we bump, each, uh, bump up against each other all the time, our beliefs bump up against each other and, and the decisions in public policy and in our communities. That's a very difficult thing. What to do? Well, in my mind, it's a question of where do you draw the line between the, the private sphere and the public sphere? And I guess a good example of that might be you know, create, uh, teaching uh, creationism versus evolution in the schools. And again, not to go off on another tangent, but just to use that as an example. Um, from my perspective, I would say one is science and, and one is religion. To go back to the earlier uh, distinctions above between hypothesis theory and belief, I would say 
you know, creationism is a belief and evolution is, is a theory in the scientific sense that means it has a great deal of validity. Um, so which one do you teach? Does teaching one, you know, disrespect the others? Well, uh, I think this comes back to understanding apples and oranges and learning to respect the difference between an apple and an orange. Um, and for one thing, if you teach one religion-based belief, if we truly want to respect everybody, then it should not just be the one or the majority, we should teach all of them. And I don't know enough, uh, you know, different stories, uh, different creation myths and things like that to give examples, but we should teach all of them. In which case, that shows that there are inherent conflicts between the way different groups of people have explained the way the world came into being. And thus that they are not science because science is repeatable and verifiable by all observers who follow the same methods. That's the definition of the scientific method. And that demonstrates that that is not science. It should not be taught as science. It should be taught as religion or sociology or anthropology or whatever topic. I'm not an expert in that area. Um, and that is not to discredit that. I know it sounds like I am, and I guess in my own way I am, but it's to say we need to respect that apples are apples and oranges are oranges, and that in the public domain we should stick with what is verifiable and repeatable for all, and in the private domain leave those things that conflict to the private sphere. I think that would reduce a tremendous amount of conflict. It would um, allow us to stop fighting over doctrinal issues and move ahead. It's it's so funny, you know, how people pick their battles. You know, the conservatives, when it comes to spending money, will say, "Well, we'll let you know charities be handled by private parties and churches and things like that because we don't want to spend money on it." Um, but when it comes to teaching creationism, they want that, you know, <laughs> not taught, not handled in the churches and things, but in the public schools. I don't, I don't understand. That comes back to the consistency. And, I, and I'm getting back on my soapbox. I need to stop and get off that. Um, but to the point, you know, to demonstrate respect for all, not for one group or for the majority group or for the most powerful group or whatever, but to demonstrate respect for all then the public sphere should be what's verifiable and repeatable and leave the religious issues for the private sphere. That's how I think we would address that issue and answer the last question of how do we tolerate others in their own belief systems. I think I've said as much as I can say on that. The rest would be rambling, so I'm going to wrap up here and say, may all beings be happy.